Hello, listeners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to Cloud9Fin, where, like probably everyone else this week, we're talking about Twitter. So here we are. I have to admit, I find it a little surreal that we're talking not just about a Twitter LBO, but a Twitter LBO by none other than Elon Musk. I was on vacation last week, and when I left the office before Easter weekend, I kind of thought this offer was just another classic Elon Musk wind-up, but like I said, here we are. So with me in the studio this week is Stephen Hunter, Ninefin's CEO. So welcome, Stephen. And given I was absent for a lot of the fun last week, maybe I can start by asking you what it's been like to cover this situation so far. Hey, Will, great to be on the pod again. Uh, like you said, it's been a little bit of a crazy week. Um, I think everyone thought it was all just a bit of Elon Musk bluster and you know, equity prices and the trading price of the debt kind of reflected that. Uh, but then last week when we saw the commitment docs and commitment letters appear uh, on Ninefin, actually on our, our Twitter company profile, uh, we realized this was for real. Uh, and it was pretty exciting. Um, obviously, this is a very high profile deal. It's attracted a lot of attention from the mainstream media. And for us at Ninefin, it's pretty cool because big LBOs, big debt financings are kind of our bread and butter. So it was super interesting to see lots of people across Twitter and across mainstream media suddenly trying to quickly figure out what on earth debt financing was and, and how the deal might be structured. Right, yeah. It's a, it, it's an LBO of uh, the platform that most journalists hang out on. So it was, <laughs> it was obviously going to be the cause of a lot of discussion. Um, so I, I wrote down a list of questions earlier today. And as the list got bigger, I found I was getting into what I guess you might call galaxy brain territory. I was thinking about Musk's tendency to talk in very grand terms about the the future of humanity. And I found myself thinking about humanoid robots and terraforming Mars, but that's way too much for 9am in the morning. So maybe we can talk about the financing first. So can you can you break that down for us a little bit? Sure. So it's a pretty jumbo financing. It was announced last week in some SEC filings. Uh, and total, it kind of works out at about 12.5 billion of more classic leveraged debt across a mixture of bonds, loans, and there's also half a billion of a, a revolver in there. But then on top of it, where things start to get a little bit more interesting, there's also a $12.5 billion margin loan, which is secured on Musk's Tesla stake. Uh, plus, there's an equity commitment letter uh, from Musk himself. Okay, so obviously there's there's two pots of debt here, basically. There's, there's the margin loans to Musk himself, and then there's the debt that Twitter is going to raise, like you said, the sort of classic LBO debt model. So... The the debt that Twitter raises is the part that, like most large LBOs, is going to be syndicated by the banks, most likely, um, placed with external investors like CLOs and high-yield bond funds. And it's also the part that is most directly attached to the company itself, as opposed to, to Elon Musk. So let's talk about that. First of all, I've read uh, a couple of pieces elsewhere that kind of gloss over or fail to mention that this debt is likely to end up being placed with external investors, as opposed to being retained on the balance sheet of the banks that underwrote it. So maybe I should start by asking, is there any foreseeable scenario in which it won't actually be syndicated like I just described? I think it would be quite surprising if, if the deal wasn't very broadly syndicated. Um, there is, of course, a scenario where this debt remains on a bank balance sheet, which is takes us to a very dark place for the banks involved if this deal goes wrong, uh, if they can't actually syndicate the debt at the levels that they expect. Um, so that's kind of the one scenario where the banks might be in a little bit of difficulty. Um, but conversely, the deal could do pretty well. 
Um, there's lots of private credit money interest out there as well, which is something we've been covering at Ninefin. And there were rumors that Apollo was looking at the equity portion of this deal. Um, but we note that there's lots of big private lending funds that are associated with PE firms. And for example, someone like an Apollo might be looking across the whole capital stack and thinking, uh, could we actually buy up or participate in some of the more syndicated debt or maybe even the margin loan? And interestingly, Apollo did some pretty sizable deals last year uh, that weren't exactly vanilla. So they did a $4 billion direct lend to SoftBank, which was actually secured on Vision Fund holdings. Uh, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see whether private credit actually gets involved in this. And I'm sure there's plenty of creative discussions happening with banks and funds and all kinds of market participants about how to de-risk the bank's balance sheets for this deal. Okay, so two two potential scenarios where the debt doesn't end up getting broadly syndicated. The first being that the banks get hung with the debt because they can't place it with external investors, which would be pretty awful for the banks. And the second being that maybe uh, some of it or a, or all of it gets placed with private credit funds, in which case it wouldn't be broadly syndicated. But assuming that the Twitter debt does get broadly syndicated, the parts of it that are most likely to hit the open market are the term loan, which is $6.5 billion, and then the $6 billion bridge of uh, secured and unsecured debt, which is expected to be taken out by secured and unsecured high-yield bonds. So that's a a pretty chunky deal by anyone's standards. Um, and it will push Twitter's total leverage to about seven and a half times. That's kind of at the more aggressive end for an LBO financing, but it's not exactly unprecedented, is it? No, it's not. And I think when you look at the debt structure, when we were digging into um, the documentation, a lot of other folks were taking kind of Twitter's historical clean last 12 months reported EBITDA as what they were basing all of their kind of debt capacity calculations on. Uh, but for those of us who've been in Lev Finland for a little bit longer, we know that you know clean EBITDA isn't usually your starting point when you're structuring a deal. EBITDAs tend to get adjusted maybe 15, 20, sometimes even 30% higher on the basis of what um, the new owners might do with the company or for you know, wonderful EBITDA addbacks. So when you looked in the commitment papers, um, the giveaway was that a lot of the, the, the incremental debt baskets were sized based on uh, 100% of EBITDA or a fixed amount of $1.7 billion. So we suspected that the deal was structured based on a financing EBITDA of about $1.7 billion. And when you use that across all of the various debt tranches, you get, as you said, to about around seven and a half times uh, total gross debt. That's excluding the margin loan, which we kind of consider uh, as equity. But um, that's pretty punchy. Um, and you know we, we don't see huge numbers of deals that are done at higher than 7x leverage. Um, but and you know this is this this deal was was structured to have kind of the maximum debt possible, I think. Right, and I suppose that another important thing to mention about this financing package is that the amount of debt here would actually provide more funding than is needed to complete the the deal at the current price of fifty four twenty. <clears throat> that's that's a weird joke in case anyone didn't get that already. Um, so so what's What's with that extra capital? I mean, it seems unlikely that Musk is going to increase his bid, or um, but but maybe he could he can inject less cash, or maybe he just wants some some money to pay for his Ninefin subscription. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, yeah, I think the board have now agreed to his kind of initial offer or his best and final offer. So unless uh, a kind of another suitor appears, 
um, with a higher bid, it seems unlikely that it, he's he's going to be trumped. Um, but one of the things that we noticed was that, yeah, the total debt proceeds, and when you sum up the equity commitments and the marginal commitments, it, it's more than he would actually need to take the company private. Uh, so there's a couple of potential um, options. Uh, one is that they that give him the flexibility to raise the bid if he needed to, and that's even if you take account for some pretty generous potential deal fees for the banks that underwrote this deal and for the M&A advice. Um, and the, the way the uh, equity commitment letter is actually framed is super interesting as well, because in effect, it's Musk saying, I'm good for whatever is required above and beyond the debt that we've put in place. Uh, and then in the actual SEC filing, um, it says that that's currently expected to be about around $21 billion, uh, but it could actually end up being more or less than that. And within the debt documentation, uh, he only requires a minimum of 40% equity. So he could actually reduce his cash outlay um, for the purchase if he wanted to, um, given that they've raised too much proceeds. Uh, another alternative explanation is that Twitter has historically run its business with a very decent cash balance uh, of around $6 billion, uh, whereas in more traditional leverage financings, we would expect companies to have minimal cash on balance sheet at closing and, and fund any working capital swings with a revolver. Uh, but in this case, a $500 million revolver on its own probably isn't enough to implement whatever wonderful new strategy Musk has for the business. And, and so maybe that's another explanation for, for why the, the deal looks a little bit bigger in terms of the financing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll get to um, we'll get to Musk's strategy for the business in, in a minute, but I just want to talk about pricing first. So according to the debt commitment letter from the banks, um, Twitter could pay an interest rate of SOFA, which uh, SOFA is around um, 0.226% around there at the moment. Um, so Twitter could pay an interest rate of SOFA plus 4.75% on the term loan, SOFA plus 6.75% on the secured bridge, and SOFA plus 10% on the unsecured bridge. And those th- th- that bridge debt is likely to be taken out in the form of high yield bonds. Um, and those margins step up every three months. So obviously the banks are pretty strongly incentivized to syndicate this quickly. So the question then becomes, how receptive is the credit market? All of these institutional investors that are going to be offered a chance to take down part of this debt, how receptive will they be to this deal? It's going to be an interesting one. I think this deal is probably going to be marketed based on on a kind of loan to value that the world's richest man has stood behind his business and put in a significant portion of cash. So that's how you should think about it. But uh, the company's pretty likely to get downgraded to a single B rating on the secured debt and probably triple C rating on, on the unsecured. And I think some of the, the indicative levels that are in the bridge financing give a good starting point for where people might start to get interested in a deal like this. Uh, if you look at you know the triple C index in the US, it currently yields more than 10%. So that kind of lines up with where unsecured bonds might come out and the banks will have a little bit of wiggle room um, before they'd get to their caps on top of that as well. Um, But as against that, you know, although this is a big uh, liquid deal, it's going to have a lot of mainstream press interest. um, There aren't many big LBO deals this year that have traded up in secondary after the deal's been done. Uh, So it might get a little bit of a mixed response. And also, I think it's going to be important, as we'll touch on later, uh, for investors and for credit investors in particular to understand how is the business going to change from its current profile? Yeah, exactly. I guess it's it's also worth mentioning that I remember covering um, Tesla's debut high yield bond when when it came out back in I think that 2017, um, and that was a deal where there was a huge amount of press about it. The the Elon factor was definitely um, a, a big part of the syndication. But 
but that deal also didn't have a particularly um, smooth ride in, in secondary trading. Um, so yeah, the, the Musk factor is is quite important here, not just in terms of marketing the deal, but also in terms of figuring out what Twitter is going to look like in the future. So let's talk about Twitter's ability to generate enough cash as a business to service this debt. Um, based on what we know now, this this debt raise would significantly increase Twitter's interest burden, which is actually pretty negligible at the moment. And this also comes at a time when because of this deal, there could be potentially some pretty fundamental changes to the company's business model. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole kind of ethos behind this deal. So I guess this is really the crux of this whole situation. It's hard to say what Twitter looks like as a credit when we don't really know Musk's plans for the business. So, so how are you thinking about that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, this is a big change in the company's capital structure. There's going to be around at 850 million or so of annual interest expense if you just kind of take the what the bridge facility headline rates are at of course the deal could do a little bit better it could do a little bit worse so that number might change but it's interesting if you use that and you use the structured EBITDA that they were kind of using in some of the commitment talks you get to almost two times interest cover exactly which is kind of a broad measure of financial health for 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 an LBO but the uncertainty as you said is how does that evolve how does the company's earnings profile evolve um, how does the business model change? Is it going to shift from being more of a advertising reliant business model to something that's a little bit more subscription driven? Uh, and I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, what would we at Ninefin pay each year in order to continue to have access to our company Twitter profile? And if you gross that up across all corporates across the world, maybe there's there's a, a pretty decent subscription uh, model and a B2B business model uh, within that. Um, but we'll just have to see. And I think one of the things that's interesting as well is that having businesses that are seven times levered is also not that crazy for the more subscription or SaaS type businesses or software focused businesses um, in the US and, and in Europe. Um, but you probably need to have a little bit of a higher gross margin. You probably need to look at the cost base. Um, so there's there's certainly a lot to be done. And it will be interesting to see whenever the, the marketing materials come out exactly how much of of his strategy, Musk and his future management team will be will be willing to disclose. Right, and I guess the other difference with those uh, those sort of highly levered software LVOs is that in those cases you generally know what the business model is before the LVO happens, so you have some certainty around their ability to generate a lot of uh, um, a lot of cash to to reduce that leverage quite quickly. Whereas here we're kind of in the dark. Uh, the only thing we know is that Musk is buying this company because he wants to make some fairly fundamental changes. So it's kind of all to play for. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to reading the, uh, the the roadshow presentation when it comes out and seeing exactly what the plans are and seeing what's in their pro forma, fully run rated uh, figures. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, but I'm sure we'll have plenty more on this story soon. It's not going anywhere. So make sure to check in next Thursday with my colleague Kat Hidalgo for the latest on European markets, but I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So until then, so long and thanks for all the tweets.